because of the cross of Jesus Christ on which the price was paid for our sin, we can say this morning, it is well with my soul. Let me invite you to open up God's word with me to Colossians chapter 2 as we continue our message series from the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to Christians in Colossae. Colossians chapter 2. You know, we have a tendency as people, there's just something in us that causes us uh, to be searching. We have a tendency to search. We search for our calling. We search for our niche. We search for our place uh, in society. We uh, search for a spouse. We search for uh, a career. We search for meaning. We search for purpose. Uh, we search for success. We search for significance, even spiritual significance. And according to God's Word, according to the Bible, which is a record of God's truth for us, when we encounter Jesus Christ and the transformation that comes through Christ, our search for spiritual significance needs to look no further. For He provides everything that we need to know who we are and who we are called to be in light of who He has made us to be. In fact, God's Word this morning, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, read this way, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. All the fullness of God living in a human body in Jesus Christ. And, and He is the one who is the head over everything. He is the one who has all authority. And the cross of Jesus Christ displays His authority. Declares Things about who he is and what he has done. The cross speaks volumes about the identity of Jesus. In fact, the cross displays the exclusivity and the authority of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ, the cross that we sing about, the cross that brings us together as Christians, as followers of Christ. That cross displays the exclusivity and the authority of of Jesus Christ. And as we look at that cross this morning as we look at God's Word and the truths that God's Word conveys about what took place through Christ on the cross, let me invite you to look with me at Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And if you'll remember last week, we looked at verses 6 and 7 that encouraged us to continue walking in Christ, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue walking in Him rooted in Him, built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. So we are to go on maturing in the faith, pursuing Christ, remembering who it is that we have received and and growing in a walk with Him and really all for the purpose, or one of the purposes, is so that we don't get lured away by things that distract us from Jesus Christ. Paul speaks to that truth right here in Colossians chapter 2 verse He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 
So in other words, he says, continue your lives in Christ, rooted in Him, built up in Him, remembering the things that you've been taught, overflowing with thankfulness, so that no one takes you captive through this hollow and deceptive philosophy. Folks, any teaching that detracts from Jesus Christ is wrong. Any teaching that detracts from Christ is wrong. In that context, the context of the first century and the Greek world, the word for philosophy had a much more general sense than the way we use it today, referring to many schools of thought. So here Paul is not, he's not diminishing or downplaying or criticizing it every form of Greek philosophy. Rather, he is attacking a specific way of thinking, a specific message that is going against the exclusivity and the authority of Jesus Christ. Some sort of message is spreading among believers in Colossae. And he is, he is writing to these believers, he's writing to the church saying, watch out for that hollow and deceptive philosophy that detracts from Christ. And as followers of Christ, as people of faith, we need to be cautious of any message in the world today that detracts from the exclusivity and the authority of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus has all authority. As God in the flesh, Christ has ultimate authority. As God in the flesh, Christ has ultimate authority. Look back at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which I read just moments ago. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Or all the fullness of God lives in a human body. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Here, Paul is returning to the central theme of this entire letter, a theme that he made very clear in chapter 1, verses 15 and 20, and it is that Jesus Christ is supreme, that He is central, that He has no rival, that, that no other power, no other person compares to Jesus Christ. As God in the flesh, Christ has ultimate authority, and God has fully revealed Himself in Christ. The Bible teaches here and elsewhere that God has fully revealed Himself, He's fully made Himself known in His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All of God in Jesus Christ. Completely God, completely man. It's the same truth that John was conveyed in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, when he said, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Us. Folks, this is the truth of the incarnation that God Himself took on human flesh, that He was born of Virgin Mary on this earth as a baby in humble circumstances and grew into a young boy, to a young man, and ultimately into a man that experienced all the same temptations and all the things that, that we experience in the world today. Fully God, fully Man, this is a mystery that we cannot wrap our minds around, that we cannot fully explain or comprehend, yet it is at the very core of the gospel that we profess. You know, for many things, God sent a messenger, and we read about these things throughout the Bible, that God sent a messenger, or God sent an angel to 
to announce something that was going to take place. Other times God sent a prophet to serve as a messenger, to declare his word, to warn against disobedience to to God. But when it came to our salvation, God sent his son. The second person of the Trinity, God himself coming to us to take on flesh and live among us ultimately so that he could lay his life down for us. God has fully revealed himself in Christ. And we also see here that spiritual fullness is found in Christ. God has fully revealed himself in Christ and our spiritual fullness is found in Christ. Look back at verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And, verse 10, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. In other words, when it comes to the search for significance, the search for purpose, the search for meaning in life, Jesus Christ is enough. He is enough. As the one who has all authority, He defines our significance. As the Prince of Peace, He is the one who provides peace to us and for us. And He is the one who ultimately provides all satisfaction. So when it comes to the search for significance and satisfaction, we need to look no further than Jesus Christ. In fact, we must look to Jesus for spiritual satisfaction. Look to Jesus nowhere else for for your spiritual satisfaction. And we have a tendency as people to search in other places. I'm going to attempt a little experiment here. I'm no scientist, but it worked in the early service, so we're going to pray and hope that it works again today. But we have a tendency to, to look all sorts of places for significance. Sometimes we look to a career. Sometimes we look to a paycheck. We often look to a spouse for satisfaction. Or perhaps we look to social media, computer screen for satisfaction that ultimately leaves us wanting. We look to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Netflix or the latest TV drama. And in this, each of these different layers represents a segment, perhaps, where we look for satisfaction, that we are a people constantly searching for the latest and the greatest. Perhaps we look to faith or we look to Christ a portion of the time. Maybe we add Him on on Sunday or whenever we feel like it. Perhaps we look to children or a relationship or family. Maybe we look to college football on Saturdays in the fall for our ultimate satisfaction when we know from Scripture that only only Christ provides ultimate satisfaction. Maybe we add Him on. Ultimately, God wants us to look to Him and only to Him for lasting, for true satisfaction. I don't know how well everyone can see this, but different layers representing different segments, different aspects of our search for significance, our search for meaning. When, when we encounter Christ, when we come to Christ, ultimately, He doesn't want one layer of our life, one segment of our life. He wants all of our life. Like this 
Bread died, it permeates the water throughout. He wants to be involved in every component, every aspect of our life. And when we encounter Him and find genuine, significant satisfaction in Him, we need to look nowhere else because spiritual fullness is found completely, totally, unendingly in Jesus Christ. Are you bored in life? Look to Jesus. Are you starved for attention? Look to Jesus. Define who you are. The cherished child of the Most High God. Are you you empty inside? Look to Jesus to fill you. Are you distressed? Are you grieving? Look to Jesus to provide ultimate comfort. Look to Jesus, church, for spiritual satisfaction. For it is not found, nor will it be found anywhere else. Ultimately, Jesus satisfies because of what it is that he has accomplished for us on the cross. And we get a glimpse of this in the remaining verses of our passage from Colossians 2 this morning. So let me invite you to look back with me at God's word in Colossians chapter 2, picking up in verse 11. Paul writes, in him, in Christ... In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Folks, by the cross, God has conquered sin, death, and Satan. By the cross, God has conquered sin, death, and Satan. By the cross, God has conquered sin. Sin no longer has mastery over those whose faith is in Jesus. By the cross, God conquered death when He rose from the dead and provides new life for all of those who come to Jesus in faith. By the cross, God has conquered Satan, defeating Satan. Declaring victory over Satan where Satan can no longer harbor any accusation against believers before the Most High God. Folks, we see here in verse 11 that in Christ, God freed from sin. In Christ, God freed from sin. Look back at verse 11. In Him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off. When you were circumcised by Christ. Here Paul uses circumcision as a metaphor for what takes place spiritually in the lives of believers. Spiritually in the lives of followers of Christ. The the old self, the old self that was ruled by sin, that was in bondage to sin. is taken away. Freed from it. In Christ, God freed from sin. And the flip side of that very same truth is that in Christ, God provided new life. In Christ, God freed from sin. And in Christ, God provided new life. Look back at 
verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. In Christ, God provided new life. See here a reference to baptism. And we had the privilege in 830 service this morning to witness baptism. Baptism is an identification, the Bible teaches, with the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what Paul is conveying here. Death to an old way of living. Death to an old life. A life ruled by self, ruled by the flesh. And new life in and through Jesus Christ. We know that new life is... It's given to us by God's grace. Remember that Jesus told Nicodemus, that religious man, he said, you must be born again, new life. This is not something that we accomplish on our own. This is not something that we achieve on our own. Ultimately, we know from the Bible that it is a free gift of God by the grace of God. Jesus purchased that for us. Purchased everlasting life, eternal life. But this is not just a new life, or a life that's for the future. It's not just eternal life that begins when we die or when Christ returns or whichever comes first. It is a new and abundant life here and now as well. A life that is to be lived for Christ. A life of intimate fellowship with our Father in heaven whom we've been reconciled to. A life of living for Him. And although that That new life is given to us. It's accomplished for us. It's not accomplished by us. It's accomplished for us by the grace of God on the Christ. uh, By the grace of God through Christ on the cross. This is not. This is not a grace that leaves us the same. Anyone who claims that gift of salvation by grace and yet goes on living as if they're completely and utterly ruled by sin and self has misunderstood the gift in the first place because this is a grace that changes us. This is a grace that's when recognized and received compels us to live a life for the Lord, declaring a new allegiance, an allegiance to Him as our Lord, as our Master, as our Savior. In Christ, God provided new life here and now and for all eternity. And we also see here that in Christ, God fully forgave. In Christ, God fully forgave. So in Christ, God freed from sin. In Christ, God provided new life. In Christ, God fully forgave. Look back at verse 13, the second half of 13. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In Christ, God fully forgave. He writes here and speaks here of a charge, a charge of our legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us before God. Reality is, if we believe that Words of Scripture. In fact, regardless of whether we believe them to be true, they are true. All people are perpetually responsible to obey God as creatures, as creatures who were made by a 
a creator. We owe our allegiance to our creator. We owe our devotion and our obedience to him. And the picture that's being conveyed here by Paul in in these verses is that of an IOU. As if all humanity got together and signed a document declaring obedience to God. Declaring obedience to our our God as the one who made us and the one who sustains us, the one who provides for us day after day. And I owe you to God, yet our sins stand against us. Our sins proclaim loud and clear that we have failed to live up to that I owe you. We've failed to make good on that promise before God. Have you ever owed someone a debt? Perhaps a family member or a friend loaned you some money. Maybe maybe a, a mortgage loan. Maybe student loans. Maybe a credit card company. Or owed someone a substantial amount of, of money. Well, I'm told that if a lender ever forgives a debt, a substantial debt, then they are required, they are obligated by the federal government to issue a form 1099C. This is the IRS's legal form, legal document declaring a cancellation of of debt. No doubt a form that any of us who owed anyone a significant amount of money would would welcome, would gladly receive. The picture that's being painted here in Colossians chapter 2 is that we owe this insurmountable debt to God that none of us have been able to pay, but just like the note that was fastened on the cross above criminals conveying the crime for which they are being executed, the note of our legal indebtedness before God was nailed to the cross. It was paid in full on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ, the Son of God Himself. Folks, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. For those who know Jesus Christ, for those who receive the the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, they have been given a spiritual form 1099C, so to speak, canceling the debt They owe their maker. Folks, are you living as if you have received such a form from God? Or are you still living under the burden of a debt that you can never never pay your maker? Father, our Father in heaven has displayed His love, His grace, His compassion by paying the debt that we could never pay And because He has done so, we ought to celebrate forgiveness. We have every reason as those who have been forgiven, as those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, who received eternal life in and through Christ, we have every reason to celebrate forgiveness. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, celebrated forgiveness. His forgiveness, the spiritual reality of his forgiveness.
forgiveness as he told others about a dream that he had had, a dream in which Satan had visited him and brought to him a record of his own life, written with his own hand. And Satan looked at him and said, Is it true? Is that true? Did you write that? Terrified, Luther had to confess that it was all true. Scroll after scroll was unrolled and the same confession rung against him again and again. At length, the evil one prepared to take his departure, having brought Luther down to the lowest depths of abject misery. And suddenly Martin Luther turned to Satan and said, It is true, every word of it. But right across it all, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Church, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Folks, in Christ, God fully forgave. So let's be people who continually celebrate the forgiveness of Christ. And finally, we see from Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, that in Christ, God displayed His victory. In Christ, God displayed His victory. In Christ, God freed from sin. In Christ, God provided new life. In Christ, God fully forgave. And in Christ, God displayed His victory. Look back at verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross that displays the exclusivity and the authority of Jesus Christ. Church, Jesus Christ, by way of the cross, declared his victory over all. Every power in this world, even the devil himself, Christ said, I am victorious. And no power in this world can thwart God's plan of redemption for His people. Nor can any power in this world or Satan himself thwart God's plans to rule and reign with His people for all of eternity. So as people who believe in the Christ of Scripture, let's declare our allegiance to the victor. Let's declare our allegiance to the King and let's do so together this morning by worshiping the King. Worship the King. Let's worship the King together now as one who is worthy of our praise, one who is worthy of our lives, as one who is worthy of our devotion. He reigns, He is victorious, and He is worthy of our lives. Let's praise Him together now. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for your grace and your mercy, Lord, that was displayed through the gospel. Lord, that was displayed on the cross of Calvary. That you spilled your blood. That your body was broken on our behalf, Lord, ultimately so that we could be reconciled to you. So that we could be forgiven of our sins against you. So that we could have eternal life in and through Jesus Christ. Lord, we celebrate that truth today. Father, we declare that you are the victorious one. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords and you are worthy of our praise now. So Lord, hear our praise. 
as we join together as your people, as your bride to worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.